hurting heart. And Jesus is the hope for a world lost in sin. Jesus is the answer. And uh, love that song. Thank you so much, worship team. Great job. John chapter number one is what I want you to turn to this morning. We'll be looking there in just a moment. Racism has been the topic of discussion on every news channel you turn on in our country for the last, uh, at least the last two weeks, or the better part of the last two weeks. It's dominated the news cycle. Every time you turn on your TV, you hear someone talking about the problem of racism. This morning on my way to church, as I was uh, on my way over here, I turned my radio on and somebody on the radio this morning was talking about uh, the problem of racism, the problem and how to fix it. Now, folks, even though we've been talking about racism for just the last two weeks, it's a problem that has existed for much longer. As a matter of fact, the problem of racism has been with us ever since sin came into this world. Ever since the fall of man, we found it hard to love people as God has called us to love people. Therefore, there's always going to be one group who thinks themselves better than the other group. And therein lies the problem with racism. So this is not a new problem. It's a very old problem. Now listen, if we're going to do our part to fix the problem of racism, let me tell you what we've got to do. We've got to, first of all, get the right answer if we're going to fix the problem, and we've got to ask the right questions. Now listen to me, folks. I believe with everything in me that inside the Bible, inside God's precious truth, we find the answers that we're in search of for whatever problem that we have. If we're going to do our part to fix the problem of racism, racism, listen to me now, is not going to be fixed physically. Because the truth is, racism is not really a physical problem. Racism is the idea that one group of people is better than the other group of people because of the color of skin. And on the outside, it looks like a physical problem, but it's really not. It goes much deeper than that. Racism will never be fixed physically because the root of the problem is not physical. Racism is never going to be fixed um, politically, folks. I don't care who you put in office, and I don't care who's in office. The person in office and the political process will never be enough to fix the problem of racism. It's not going to happen. The problem goes much deeper than what politics can fix, I can promise you that. Now, let me go a step further. Listen to me, folks. You're never going to fix racism through the legislative process. You're never going to make a law that's going to fix the root problem of racism. See, you can make a law that would cause a man to change his actions somewhat, but there's never going to be a law made by man that would cause a man to change his heart. The root of the problem is not a physical problem. It's not a legislative 
uh, problem. It's not a political problem. That you're not going to fix it in any of those ways. Yeah, you can work on it. You can help it. But you're not going to fix it. You're not going to get to the root of the problem and fix the problem that's there working in those ways. I believe if you're going to fix the problem of racism, listen to me, folks. You've got to look for spiritual means because racism in and of itself underlying in that is a spiritual problem. That's why we need the truth of the Word of God to shed some light on what racism is and what we can do inside the body of, of Christ to fix the problems that we see. Dr. King said something that I love. That brother said a lot that I love, but he, he said darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. If you believe that, say amen. See, we need the light of the Word of God and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to be shed abroad into hearts so that hearts and lives might be changed so that we might be what God has called us to be and God has called us to love Him and to love our neighbor. That love can only be realized by a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. You'll never show the love of God until you know the love of God. And you'll never know the love of God until you have accepted Christ as your personal Savior. And so the, the problem of racism is not a physical one or a political one or one that can be solved through the legislative process. The problem of late racism ultimately is a spiritual problem. So what I want to do this morning is look into the Word of God and see what God's truth says about the problem we see in our world today. I'm going to entitle this message this morning, The Problem of Racism and the Power of a Savior. Let's look together, if you will, in John chapter 1, starting in the 43rd verse, and we'll read through verse number 51. Watch this. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and he finds Philip, and says unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip findeth Nathaniel. Everybody say, Philip findeth. <laughs> now watch. He finds Nathaniel and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said unto him, Pay close attention to what, how Nathaniel answers the invitation that Philip gives. Philip says, Come see this Jesus we found. He's got to be the one that the prophets wrote about. Listen at Nathaniel's response. Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now, Philip said unto him, Come and see. Nathaniel, come and see for yourself this man Jesus. Because he makes all the difference. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and he said unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou. Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, Verily, verily. 
I say unto you, hereafter you shall see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, we need you today. Without you, we can do nothing. Without you, we are nothing. But Lord Jesus, we understand and realize you are the vine, we are the branches. We know it's through the branch that the life of the vine is pressed out. And so Lord, we're asking this morning that you would do that in my life, do that in our lives. May your life be pressed out through us. Holy Spirit, I'm praying today that you would speak to me, speak through me, your word for these people. Lord, for whether they're listening in this sanctuary or they're listening over Facebook or however they're hearing this message I'm praying that it makes a difference for the kingdom of God not because of who I am but because of who you are Lord Jesus we're praying today that you would have your way and your will in these services where conviction is needed Holy Spirit we pray that you convict where comfort is needed Holy Spirit we pray that you comfort do your work in the midst of your people today and we're going to glorify you for you alone are worthy in Jesus mighty name we do pray and for your sake amen now, there's three men that I want us to see this morning here in this passage of Scripture. First of all, I want you to see Philip the soul winner. Then we're going to see Nathaniel the searcher. And then we're going to see Jesus the Savior. First, let's look at uh, Philip the soul winner. The Bible says in uh, John 1 and verse number 43, the day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and finds Philip. So the first thing that we need to note here is that Jesus found Philip. Now, I love that. How many of you understand, if we've been saved this morning, it really wasn't because we was looking for Jesus, but Jesus came looking for us. I remember when I was lost and undone in the free pardon of sin, doing my own thing, going my own way. I was in complete and total rebellion to the things of God, and Jesus came finding me and changing my life. He found Philip and changed his life. So Jesus found Philip and said unto him, follow me. Now Philip was a Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Verse 45 says, Philip then finds Nathanael. So Jesus found Philip. Philip found others. Nathanael was just the first one. Nathanael was just the one mentioned here in John chapter 1. But I'm going to give you some scripture this morning that I want you to go back and look at later because every time you see Philip in the Gospels, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. <laughs> it's amazing. In John chapter 6, the Bible gives the account of Jesus feeding 5,000 men. Do you remember that? And the Bible says that Jesus had been preaching there in the countryside and there were about 5,000 men present and it got too late for them to go buy anything to eat. They were so enamored and entranced by the word Jesus was preaching to them, they didn't even worry about dinner time when it came at 12 o'clock. Praise God for that. I wish we had some of those folks today. Can you say amen? A lot of people get more upset if you go five minutes over 12 uh, than anything else. But these people were so in tune with what God was trying to share with them, they were willing to stay, listen to me now, and forget about the physical so that they, so that they could receive the spiritual food that Jesus was trying to give them. That's what's happening there in John 6. Now, there's 5,000 Men present. Jesus said it's time to get them something to eat. And if you go back and look at verses 6 and 7, it was Philip and Andrew who brought to Jesus a little boy who had a packed lunch. His mama had packed him lunch that morning so he'd have something to eat, just some fish and loaves of bread. And Jesus took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 men, the Bible says. Now, I want you to know something. I believe there were more than men there. I think not only was there 5,000 men, but 
There were also wives and children. Most people believe, the theologians that I've read and Bible historians that I've looked after say that there were probably about 15 to 25,000 people there that Jesus fed with a little boy's lunch that day. But it all started because Philip and Andrew brought a little boy to Jesus. Philip was always bringing somebody to Christ. John chapter number 12, you'll find another story in verse number 22. And the Bible says that there were certain Greeks who wanted to see the Lord. They wanted to see Jesus. And they came to Philip, and then Philip brought them unto the Lord. I love the fact that Philip is such a soul winner. When you hear him mentioned in the Gospels, every time you see him, he's bringing somebody to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Now let me tell you why I believe that is. When Philip got a hold of who Jesus is, and when Jesus got a hold of Philip, he wanted everybody to meet the Jesus he had met and to know the Jesus that he knew. Let me tell you what a lot of fire under a man, woman, boy, or girl to be a soul winner for the Lord Jesus. When you want people to meet the Jesus you've met and to know the Jesus that you know. Folks, I want to tell you something. I feel sorry for people who don't know Jesus because I used to be in the same shape they're in. I used to be lost and undone. I had no peace, had no purpose, had no joy. I didn't understand the meaning of life whatsoever. But when I found Jesus, all that changed. John chapter, excuse me, Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1 says that when I found Jesus and I placed my faith in Him, that He justified me. Put that on the screen for me, brothers, if you will. Romans chapter 5. Verse number 1, the Bible says it very plainly here. I want you to get a hold of it. Therefore, being justified by faith, when I chose to place my faith in Christ for the forgiveness of my sin, when I trusted in the finished work of Jesus, the Bible says He justified me. Now, what does it mean to be justified? To be justified means to be made right, just as if I'd never sinned. So now when God sees me, He no longer sees me in my sin, but He sees me as a son. He sees me as the righteousness of His Son Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He justified me. He forgave my sin. Let me tell you what happened when my sin problem was taken care of. Then I received the peace of God. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gave me peace that passeth all understanding. Folks, I'm going to be honest with you. 2020 has thrown us some curveballs. <laughs> Would you agree with me? I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We, we've seen some stuff already that really blows my mind. I never thought would happen. I'm hearing tell that there's a super volcano about ready to erupt in Yellowstone. Have y'all heard some of that? Just last week, there was a 5.5 earthquake on the Richter scale in Southern California. And they're predicting more to come after that. There's hurricanes spinning wildly right now in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, it's just everything. I, I don't know what's coming tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I'm thankful that even though I don't know what I'm going to face tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. I know he has my life in his hands. Go with me just a moment over to John chapter number 10. Watch how Jesus puts it here. John chapter 10.
And look down at verse number 27. Jesus is here telling us that he is the good shepherd. And he says something in verse number 27 that we'd all do well to take note of. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I'm going to read that again because you must not have heard it. If there's been a good time for you to say amen, that's there. Jesus said, John, 20, John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Yes, amen. Praise God. We are held in the hand of Jesus. And no matter what happens tomorrow, nothing is strong enough to break his grip. But then he goes a step further. He says this, verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. I have peace for tomorrow because I know who Daddy is. My life is held in the hand of God. Folks, I don't know what's going to happen with coronavirus or earthquakes or the rights that we're seeing happening all over the place. I don't know about any of that, but I know this. God is still on the throne. He is my Abba Father, and I am held in His hand. That's peace for living. But let me tell you something else. I also got peace for dying. If the coronavirus does get me, I still win. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, it's better to me to go on and be with the Lord, to be absent this body, to be present with Jesus. I've got the blessed hope of eternal life with God. I've got peace for dying. All of this comes in Christ. Amen? Let me tell you something else. He not only does He give me peace, He also gives me His presence. And with His presence now, I am able by the power of the Holy Spirit to live in a way that's pleasing unto the Lord, to live out my faith and make a difference in this world. And I can love people like Jesus loves people. Can you say Amen? Hey, I can love black people, white people, yellow people, purple people. If there are any, I don't care who they are. I'm going to love all of them. Let me tell you why. Because Jesus died for all of them. Every one of them. And if you don't think you can do that, you need to be born again. The love of God has not been shed abroad in your heart. And so I'm telling you, it's through His purpose. Or excuse me, through His presence that I begin to understand my purpose. And my purpose is... Like we've always talked about, loving God and loving people. Loving them enough to give them the truth. Because the truth truly sets us free. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. <laughs> so what I'm telling you is, Philip, the soul winner, wanted others to meet the same Jesus he had met, to know the same Jesus that he knew. Now, if you really know Jesus... I believe you're going to have a desire to tell somebody else about him. I'm not saying that you're not going to be scared in witnessing. Folks, listen, if there's one thing that still terrifies me, it's sharing my faith. If there's one thing that still terrifies me, it's standing before you and sharing the gospel. Because with this comes a great responsibility. So don't think you're never going to be afraid. Because you will be afraid. I still, many times I'm terrified about sharing the truth of the Lord, preaching the gospel. But I want to tell you this now, listen. 
God has not failed me. And when I step out in faith by His power, He gives me exactly what I need. If He can do it for me, He can do it for you. Can you say amen? Let me tell you something else. Today, I'm I'm putting the sign-up sheet back out for those who want to go enter our witnessing class. See, I think a lot of times in the church, we know what we are supposed to do. We just don't know how to do it. Now, the how to do it comes in discipleship. And so one of the greatest things we can do is learn from the absolute truth of Scripture what it means to share the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to be doing that on Sunday nights, probably starting next month. If you're interested in learning how to witness and becoming a soul winner like Philip so that people can meet the same Jesus you met and know the same Jesus you know, then get signed up today, praise God. We're going to learn that. We're going going to see what God's Word says about it. We need to see Philip the soul winner. Praise God, we need some soul winners, folks. Philip wanted others to know Jesus because he was justified. He had peace. He had purpose. He had God's presence. He wanted others to know the Jesus he knew to meet the Jesus he met. And I do too. Jesus is the answer for this world. We've got the answer. We need to be giving it to them. If there's ever been a time we need to be giving people the answer, it's right now. We need to see Philip the soul winner, but we also need to see Nathaniel the searcher. He's searching for something. He's searching for the Lord. (laughs) He might even know it. He probably don't know it yet, but he's searching for the Lord. And Philip brings him unto Jesus. Now watch. When Nathaniel hears where Jesus is from, he's got a problem with it. Notice the tone of his voice. Well, not really the tone of his voice, but I I can almost hear the tone of his voice. And how he says this. Watch. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, of, of Joseph. This is John 1.45. John 1.46 says, And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any good thing that comes out of Nazareth? I didn't do that just like I wanted to, but you get, where I'm, you get what I'm saying. He kind of had that prideful, arrogant, condescending attitude. Is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? Somehow, some way, Nathaniel had a prejudice against people from Nazareth. The Bible says he was from Cana. Now, I don't know why he looked down on people from Nazareth, but he did. Maybe Cana and Nazareth were rivals, uh, and they, they played football together, and maybe Cana had beat Nazareth in Nathaniel's senior year in high school. I don't know. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe a guy from Cana had stole, or excuse me, a guy from Nazareth had stole Nathaniel's girlfriend, him being from Cana. I don't know. But somehow, some way, he had a prejudice against the people of Nazareth. Now listen to me, folks. We all have prejudice to some degree. All of us. And it happens in our life For many different reasons, but there are at least two this morning that I want to give to you. First of all, prejudice can and many times is taught to you from a very early age. Not only is it taught to you by what's said in your home growing up, but many times it's not really taught by lips, but you catch it by how your parents act towards someone else. By what they say concerning someone else. And so, listen to me. I believe this with all my heart. 
If we want to stop the problem of racism, a great place to start is quit teaching it to your kids. Now I know what people's thinking. Well, brother, that's just how I was raised. Well, how you was raised was wrong. I know you love your mom, and I know you love your daddy, and I love them too. I ain't got a problem with them. I'm just telling you, they were wrong in that aspect. I've been wrong myself as a parent. We're all wrong, but, we're, but listen, we got to recognize our wrong and fix the problem. Now that starts with me. Amen? And that starts with you. Quit teaching it. Quit being okay with it. I think it's time we start calling people out on it. No, you don't use that language around me. Are you getting me? Until you start doing that and be bold enough to stand up for people, then, then stuff like we're seeing these last two weeks is going to continue to happen. So many times it's taught, but let me tell you something else. Many times we have a prejudice about a group of people because of an experience we've had with a small number of people. Let me tell you what I saw um, two weeks ago. I saw an officer of the law make a terrible decision that has not only cost him, but cost the nation greatly. I'm amazed at how powerful we are as human beings. The decisions and the choices we make on a day-to-day -day basis, has power to change the world. I saw that two weeks ago. And when you're in a place of authority, that just compounds that. Because more is expected of that man. And rightly so. But now, let me say something to you very plainly. I, I want to make this just as clear as I can. I want you to know that that man needs to be in prison. Because that's wrong. There's nothing about what happened to George Floyd two weeks ago, nothing about that can be justified in my mind. It's wrong. And the ones who allowed it to go on needs to spend some time with him. But now let me say something to you. Just because you've got one man wearing a uniform as a police officer that needs to spend time in prison and is a bad guy, has a heart problem, doesn't mean that all police officers are bad people. Let me tell you what I've come to find out. You know, in every profession that you've got, you've got bad people. There's a whole lot of bad pastors. There are some bad pastors that need to spend some jail time. I'll just be honest. No doubt. There's a lot of bad school teachers. There's a lot of bad politicians. There's a lot of bad lawyers. There's a lot of bad doctors. But just because you've got a few in a group, you can't lump the whole group in with those few. All of the police officers that I've known personally have been great guys. We've got several of them here with us this morning. And I thank God for the job you do. But I want you to know, you can't just take the actions of few and, listen, um, lay the, the, the charge to, to everyone. You, you can't do that. 
But many times that's what we do. I heard a story one time about a missionary who went to the West Indies on a week's mission trip. He came back home. And when he got back, his pastor asked him, he said, well, man, how'd you like the West Indies? He said, I loved it. He said, the Lord worked greatly down there. He said, but let me tell you something about the West Indians. All of them walk in a straight line. He said, everywhere I went, I saw them walking in a straight line, single file. And the pastor looked at the missionary and he said, uh, now, brother, I, I don't believe everybody in the West Indies always walks in a single file line. He said, the ones I saw did. Isn't that how we sometimes do? We judge everyone in a group of people by the actions of a few. And that causes prejudice. Right? Now we can, we can take that as far as profession. We, we, that, that's true as far as um, a race of people. That's true as far as everything. But that's how prejudice starts. Either it's taught or you have a personal experience of, with, with a few people. And listen, you, 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 you lay charge to, to the whole group. That's what happened with Nathaniel. But now let me say something to you. Racism is wrong for several reasons. It's a problem for several reasons. Let me give you three of them. First of all, racism is wrong biblically. Do you know that? I want to give you probably my, one, of, one of, if not my favorite verse in all the Word of God. Y'all know it, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Who are the whosoevers? Those who believe. Whosoevers are, listen, whether you be black, white, brown, whoever. American, English, Australian, African, whoever. Whoever chooses to believe can have everlasting life. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus tasted death for every man. He shed his blood for white people and black people and Chinese people and whoever. He shed his blood for all of us, for every man. The only color that matters is red. That's the color of the blood shed for you, for your sin, for my sin, for the sins of the whole world. Racism is a problem because it's biblically wrong. Jesus shows us that not in just in what he says, but in what he does. And that's where the true test is. Not just saying it, but doing it. I've come to find out it's a whole lot easier to say it from the pulpit than to do it when I walk out these doors. How about you? That's why we need the power of God. That's why we need to relinquish our will to God's will. That's why we need to give God our lives daily and say, Lord, you take me and use me. Because I don't want to mess it up. Amen? But I'm telling you, Jesus blew the idea of racism away in John chapter number 4. John chapter number 4, he goes to the Samaritan woman at the well. John 4 and verse number 1, Then therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made the and baptized more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs, he must needs, he must needs go through Samaria. Let me define for you what a must need is. Breathing is a must need. You don't breathe, you're going to die. Eating is a must need. Drinking is a must need. If you don't do those things, you're going to die physically. So you see, when Jesus said it's a must need, it's something he's got to do. Life and death 
It's dependent upon it. Amen? So you got a must needs to go through, go through Samaria. Now let me share something with you. Jesus would have been traveling from north to south, and most of the time, any self-respecting Jew would have went around Samaria. Because they thought the Samarians to be less than the Jews. They thought the Jews to be better than the Samaritans. The Samaritans. And so when, when um, Jesus said he had to, must needs to go through Samaria, first of all, that didn't even make sense because most of the time they would have bypassed the whole place. They didn't want to be around those filthy Samaritans. And so the Bible says, verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were going away into the city uh, to buy food. Verse 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. This right here blew the Samaritan woman away. I mean, she couldn't believe that a Jewish man, first of all, would speak to a Samaritan woman. Do you see the problem? It surprised her that he would even speak to her, much less ask for a drink. But do you see how it touched this woman? That Jesus was willing to take time to spend time with her? He goes on to not only receive physical water from her, but then in turn gave her spiritual water, which gave her eternal life. Changed her life, and then she went back and changed her village. A great quiet time study would be for you to read John chapter 4 this week. See what happened with the Samaritan woman. But Jesus completely tore down the attitude that Jews were better than the Samaritans, not only by his actions here in John chapter 4, but you also remember his teaching. He, he told about the good Samaritan. Do you remember that? That when all of these self-righteous Jewish people were walking by the man who had fell victim to robbers, it was the good Samaritan that picked the man up, cleaned his wounds, and took him to a place where he could lay down and get some food. What's Jesus saying? The Jews are no better than the Samaritans. And the Samaritans are no better than the Jews. And I'm going to tell you something. White people are no better than black people. And black people are no better than white people. And, uh, and, and American people are no better than Spanish speaking people. You just need to know we all just people. Biblically, we all in the same shape. We all stand in need of a Savior. And let me go further with this and tell you that whenever you get to heaven, if you've got a problem with being there with people of a different color, you're going to have a problem with heaven. I mean, a big problem. I don't know how you're going to make it. Because, and I don't know if, I, don't, I really don't know if you will make it. But now listen, get a hold of this. Revelation chapter 7, there's a picture of all of the people of God around God's throne giving praise to Him. And the Bible says people of every tribe, nation, kindred, and tongue are going to be singing praise to Jesus. Biblically, racism is wrong. Biologically, racism is wrong. Do you know that? Acts 
The book of Acts tells us that there is one blood, one race, Acts 17, 26. What's, what's the Bible saying there? The Bible is saying that all of us came from one man, Adam, and the same blood that is in my veins flows through the veins of a black man or a brown man. Color truly is only skin deep. The only reason a black man is black or a brown man is brown is they've got more pigment in their skin than I do. The only reason, reason I'm kind of white is that I've got less pigment than they do. And the truth is, none of us are actually white. We've all got a little bit of pigment. Now, I know I've got less than most of y'all. I mean, it's hard for me to even tell where my socks start. It's, it's, it's bad. But I'm just saying that's all it is, the amount of pigment in you. So biologically, it's wrong to be racist because I can give blood to a black man, a black man can give blood to me. I can be an organ donor to a black man or a Hispanic man. A Hispanic man can be a, 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 an organ donor to me. We're all made up of the same stuff. Biblically, it's wrong. Biologically, it's wrong. Basically, it's wrong. So, brother, what do you mean basically? Well, I was watching this week, you know, since all this has been going on for uh, last week and a half, two weeks now, a lot of the old clips from years ago when they're in the civil rights movement have been shown. And I was watching in Arkansas when the schools were integrated there. And the National Guard had to be called out because there was a lot of ignorant, hateful people that didn't want that to happen. And I saw a picture of a six-year-old little black girl, six years old, having to be escorted by National Guardsmen to her school. And I looked at that and I thought, who thinks this is right? It's a little girl for crying out loud. Basic, common human decency tells you racism is wrong. All racism is wrong. Black toward white, white toward black, whatever the case may be, color of skin means nothing. We need to see Nathaniel the searcher he had a problem. His problem was a prejudice toward people of Nazareth. But oh, listen, we've got to see Jesus the Savior. Watch. John chapter 1. The Bible says, And Nathanael said unto him, uh, Can there any good thing come out of, verse 46, come out of Nazareth? And Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no guile. Verse 48, Nathanael said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw you. Let me tell you what that says to me. Jesus knew his past. He said, Nathanael, before the Philip ever talked to you about me, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, I don't know what was going on on the fig tree. Maybe Nathanael was praying to the Lord about some deep theological questions he had. I don't know. Maybe he was, God was dealing with him about something, and, and, and Nathanael was talking it over with him. And Jesus said, when you were under that fig tree, whatever was going on there, I saw you. He saw his past. Now, you know I got a past. And you know you've got a past. 
You know everybody's got a past. And do you know in spite of your past, Jesus is ready to meet you where you are in the present? I had some views growing up that's been changed by the power of God. By the gospel message that set me free. You know what Dr. King says that I love? He said that he's, he's come to the place where he's chosen to live in love because to live in hate is too heavy of a burden. That's good, isn't it? I'm going to love people. Why? Because Jesus loves me. And the love of God has been shed abroad in my heart. I've got a past, but praise God, that don't mean I have to keep living there. Oh, brother Israel, that's just how I was raised. Well, you need to be growing. We all need to grow. I need to grow. Don't just stay there because that's how you was raised. That's ridiculous. That's a terrible argument. Grow now. You know better now. Act better now. Jesus was ready to meet him right where he was. You know what? That's exactly what we've got to do with people. Meet them where they are. Regardless of where they are. Extended in the same grace that's been extended to us. Realize. Realize. That the same Jesus who has saved you can and will save those who come to him. Meet them where they are. In love. But you know what else? Jesus also had a plan for his future. Watch. Nathaniel said unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before the Philip called thee, when thou was under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. He's speaking of the future now. He's speaking of where he's taking him. So he says in verse 51, And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angel of God descending and descending upon the Son of Man. You know what he's saying to Philip? You're about to see heaven open up and do things on earth that only heaven can do. Oh, listen to me, folks. In Jesus, we have a future. Individually, in Jesus, in Jesus, in Jesus, he's the answer to this problem. You've got a future. Mount Zion Baptist Church, in Jesus, in Jesus, we got a future. United States of America, in Jesus, in Jesus, we got a future. Let's do our part as the body of Christ to be like Philip and bring others to Jesus. That's what makes all the difference. Quit worrying about all this stuff that don't matter. And bring people to Jesus. Everybody stand together. This is your invitation. You'll be closing this service. If you need the Lord in any way, I invite you to come. I'll tell you this. 
I believe when God's people pray, the power of God is released upon our situation. Folks, in the last two weeks, we've had cities burning across our nation, across our country. People spewing hate from all sides of the argument. I'm sick of that. We need God to heal our land. And the Bible says if we pray and ask Him, He can do that. He will do that. So I want to encourage you, pray and ask Him. You can do it right where you're sitting. You can come to this altar. If you're here today and you need to be saved, I ask you to come to this altar. Not because walking an aisle saves you, but because coming to a good old-fashioned altar and meeting with God is what men have been doing for thousands of years all throughout the Bible. And when you come, listen to me, you shame the devil, give glory to God, and show that you are not ashamed of Jesus. I'm going to meet you here with the Word of God, and I'm going to share with you what it means to trust in Christ if you need to be born again. I can't save you, but I tell you this, the same Jesus who has saved me that I've met, I want you to meet. The same Jesus I know, I want you to know. <laughs> and praise God you can this morning. Why don't you come? Why don't you come? Don't wait. Right now, come. You need the Lord, you come. Whosoever shall call upon Him, Whosoever can be saved.